0: Folks, thank you so much for listening and making this podcast a part of your day. I absolutely love hearing from you. Is there something that really resonated? A tip that was helpful? Stories that inspire you? Or suggestions for topics that you want to hear more about or artists you'd love to hear from? You can email me at Rebecca at teachingartistpodcast.com or hit me up on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast. Or if you just have beautiful things to say, you can always leave a review wherever you're listening. And those reviews really make a big difference for the show. On some platforms, they help us get discovered by new listeners. Another really helpful thing you can do is just share with your friends. If you have artist, educator friends who you think might like the show, let them know about it. I have also started a teaching artist group on Good Pods, which is a fun social podcasting app. I'll leave the link in the show notes so you can join. You can also join me with Victoria Fry of Visionary Art Collective in our monthly Art Educators Lounge meetings via Zoom. We usually hold them the last Saturday of each month at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. In August, we have a special extra session of artist talks for our free community meeting on August 14th. And then I'm excited to share with you, you're hearing it first, that we will have the incredible Hannah Cole of Sunlight Tax offering a workshop on taxes for teaching artists on August 28th. You can register for the August 14th event for free through Eventbrite, and I will put the link in the show notes. And then keep an eye out for the registration info for the workshop with Hannah Cole, as we will be sharing more about that soon. I also hope that you're getting some rest time this summer. I have been working to squeeze in time out of the city, and I'm excited to be heading to the lake for a week. But of course, my daughter has just gotten what seems like a cold... She's very snotty, but we are somewhat anxiously awaiting test results, so our plans might be shifting. But what would this year and a half be without constantly shifting plans? My hope for you is that you are able to get some rest time, you're able to get some studio time, and whatever plans have to shift, it somehow all works out in the end. Okay, let's get to our featured artist, and then I have a great interview with Carly Terrison this week. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here, as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. This week's featured artist is Isaiah Salamanca, also known as NOTICE. He is a 23-year-old artist from Seattle, Washington. His recent works are inspired by the two most important women in his life who were both diagnosed with cancer in October 2020. His mother was diagnosed with stage 3C ovarian cancer, now stage four, and his grandmother with stage one breast cancer. While answering by his given name, he chooses the alias notice in the art world as a thank you for noticing note to those who view his works. Noticing his work can take strength to delve deep into ourselves and address vulnerability. He represents things he has noticed in his life that are often unseen or actively avoided, but chooses to use mediums that are commonly seen or accessible Inspired by abstract expressionism and street art, he seeks to offer reminders to us that we will not be alone in taking the time to notice mental health, chronic illness, substance abuse, and homelessness. Noticing his work can be a step taken to become part of a community that is aware of issues that are easily neglected. Notice is making and selling his handmade art and stickers on his website, which is timetonotice.com. A little bit from his statement, he says his current works often involve street signs, correctional fluid, and permanent markers to express accessibility. These resources are seen or available to each of us and exemplify that the themes expressed are within this same close proximity to us. To see some of his work, you can follow us on Instagram at Teaching Artist Podcast, or check out our blog at TeachingArtistsPodcast.com. And if you would like to submit your work to be featured, you can do that on our website at TeachingArtistsPodcast.com/opportunities. Hearing about Carly's process of creation with her whole body in consideration of her community was inspiring. She spoke about growing up with an artist father and how that shaped her. I so often hear from artists whose parents had trepidations about a career in the arts or thought of it more as a hobby. It was interesting hearing how an artist parent can normalize the arts as a valid career path while also bringing awareness to all the challenges this path holds. Carly also shared how the pandemic has impacted her as a teaching artist and how she's been able to focus on her practice during this time. I loved the idea of naming our discomforts and communicating clearly as this world continues to shift. She discussed decentering herself in the classroom and the constant work to check her biases. We talked about seeing the the behind-the-scenes of the gallery world, building community as an artist, and shifting scales going from large to small and back again. Carly Terrason is an artist, storyteller, and educator. She earned her BFA from California College of the Arts in Oakland, California, in painting and community arts. She also completed the Community Teaching Artist Certificate Program from the Department of Cultural Affairs and Cal State Los Angeles. She has worked in many of the Bay Area's arts organizations and schools as an arts educator and youth and disability advocate. Her work has been featured in shows in New York and the Bay Area, including the San Francisco Women's Building and Women's Work Art in New York. She has attended Luminous Bodies Residency in Toronto, Ontario, and has co-led residencies and workshops out of her own home. Let's hear from Carly. So I am here with Carly Terrison, and I always like to start just with some background. Could you kind of share your journey? How did you become an artist and a teacher? Where did all of that happen, and what does it look like now? First of all, thank you so much for having me here and
1: excited to be in conversation with you. So I'm originally from New York and grew up in a creative family. Uh, My father is an artist, so I grew up in the studio with him and always, you know, was supported in my creative expression. And then as I got older, art became something that I knew that I wanted centered in my life. And Mm -hmm. I... Moved out to the Bay Area where I went to California College of the Arts and earned my BFA in painting there and in uh, painting and community arts. Mm -hmm. And through the community arts program, you know, easily the natural trajectory led to teaching through that and then working Mm -hmm. in community and thinking about art having a larger impact. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where my teaching came in and I, you know I became very interested in working in community and developing relationships with people you know it becomes more about that than, than the art really is you know more mm. of the relationships and so I worked in a handful of different art organizations and schools in the bay mm-hmm. while maintaining my own practice and painting and now I'm here. <laughs> Amazing.
0: Yeah. I picture that childhood with an artist just so idyllic. I'm sure it wasn't always. (laughs) But I would love to hear more about that. You know, did that mean that you were also, you know, sort of surrounded by your father's friends who maybe were artists?
1: You know, a few. I think Mm -hmm. where I'm from, kind of a unique. Uh, situation usually like you think about artists being in a you know when you're an artist you have that community Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know where there's art there's people and Mm -hmm. but actually my dad was kind of known as the town artist Mm. and so it was a little bit secluded in that way Mm. but he has other great people in our community that aren't artists Mm. that support him and his work so, you know, all the things that we went through as a family and, you know, we were kind of like on our own a little bit. It's an interesting upbringing.
0: Yeah, I feel like so many artists I talk to struggle with parents who don't quite understand or, you know, are just not necessarily like unsupportive, but just worried that going into the arts is is going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's always interesting to hear from someone whose parents were in that that world and were sort of more Mm -hmm. supportive, more aware of what it takes and what it can be and what it brings to your life.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, there were a lot of struggles and the reality of what comes with being an artist and that's, you know, what I got to see through my dad, but also more than anything, I feel like he highlighted the rewards of being an Mm -hmm. artist and what comes from that and how we're kind of like pushing up against expectations or norms.
0: Yeah, and do you feel like that better prepared you for really pursuing art?
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Being better prepared for the for struggles, understanding how much work it actually takes
0: mm-hmm.
1: in all different aspects—mentally, physically, emotionally. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And my dad is, you know, of course, a a big influence.
0: Yeah. And then I love the, just hearing about the community arts program. And I find that so interesting. Like I didn't realize that was its own, was it a a major at, in school? It was a major and it was also a
1: minor. I was one of the first classes to have that available to Mm. me as a minor. So It's actually called Social Practice for Public forums. Yeah. But it's one of the only programs like that in the country. So I felt blessed to be able to experience that and have such wonderful professors and who, you know, I still keep in touch with and talk about maintaining relationships. It's all about that, you know, so.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And immediately was that whole part of my education had such a large impact on me and how mm-hmm. I want to operate in the world as an artist and as an educator. So,
0: And then does that come into your work? Like, are you doing work that's also sort of social practice work as well as painting?
1: Yeah, well, I've recently through, you know, this last year, it's mm-hmm. been... <laughs> It's been challenging, (laughs) of course. I'm sure everybody can agree with that. And, you know, recently I've been like deep into my own practice, but I was, you know, after I graduated school, I was teaching an after-school program and Mm -hmm. doing art workshops, mindfulness workshops, led and and helped facilitate a mural-making experience for the youth Mm -hmm. I was working with. So, I mean, I definitely have ideas and goals of what I'd like to do in the future. But I think it's kind of been like a reset period or kind of a pause period for that
0: recently. Yeah. How did the pandemic affect you? Because you were teaching for like through nonprofits, right? Yeah. So I was teaching
1: through a nonprofit and I also had a kind of a side hustle job and like any artist <laughs> right <laughs> uh. <laughs> been, been around in restaurants and in you know all that type of stuff for a while mm. now so yeah it, it impacted me by you know i losing my job and i ended up moving to la from the bay area and now i'm you know just been like deep into my own painting practice mm. i also had the opportunity to take a course at Cal State LA it was a community teaching artist certificate mm. program and that was like such a just stimulated me and was like so wonderful to sort of just be reminded in this time of like all the possibilities that come with teaching and working with people and learning more about LA and, and the different organizations and programs that exist and then they're doing amazing work before and, and during this pandemic and
0: Yeah. You know, I talked to so many teachers who were more, you know, like certified teachers in schools where their impact was trying to teach online or then being, you know, sent back into the classroom and teaching in this hybrid model, like just really overwhelmed with work. But then the flip side, I feel like is a lot of the teaching artists that were more community-based or working with nonprofits lost their teaching work entirely or you know like I had my hours drastically cut so just both sides like there's challenges either way
1: yeah absolutely and I think you know for me like I am thinking you know if we have this like such kind of rare just like this opportunity of time Mm -hmm. that for me it's making me think about how I want to like operate when i'm back in a classroom or i'm back Mm -hmm. in an art room or anywhere as a teacher as a community member as an artist and like acknowledging all the things that have gone on and and that have happened and you know coming back together to process it all together and use art as a vehicle to express ourselves
0: so Yeah, it's amazing that you were able to take that course too. That sounds like a really helpful just thing to be involved with during this and also thinking through like, what are we going to do when we are able to be back, you know, physically together and how are we going to process all of this with our students?
1: Yeah, and I think beyond COVID, Mm -hmm. we have also have lost our comfortability in proximity to others and like Mm. how long is it going to take to like actually get comfortable again and feel free enough to move around and to make art to get close to somebody and you know Mm.
0: so all that
1: is part of it
0: yeah absolutely and especially thinking through like social practice work but then you know teaching any community work really it's an interesting thing to think about I was recently talking with some artists about just having like having a house guest even if you're like relatively safe you know if you've been vaccinated and you're you know now having a house guest how strange that feels
1: yeah (laughs) just sharing your
0: space yeah
1: yeah and like you know how we've all kind of come up with ways to like show up for each other in community Mm -hmm. that aren't in person and Mm -hmm. what does that like look like when we're in person again and I think like sometimes I'm like I just have to name my uncomfortability Mm -hmm. this is uncomfortable right now or like I'm anxious about this or whatever. And like for me, just like being communicating with people is what's been helpful in this. Yeah.
0: I think that's really powerful that whatever you're uncomfortable about, I feel like that's one thing maybe we've learned. I feel like I've had to get a little better at communication, maybe because some things are not so easily communicated from a distance. So it's, you have to get more explicit, maybe. But yeah, naming. I'm not comfortable with this or this is making me feel strange or awkward or yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're all kind
1: of experiencing those emotions and like we're being tested with our boundaries and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's like in a way making us practice boundaries which is important.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's really good modeling for students as well yeah absolutely and so when you were teaching what did your teaching situation look like well my last teaching
1: job I was there every day of the week pick the kids up their school and walk them over to the art center where we would have our after school program and we did a lot of outdoor physical activity time after school especially like let them run it out stick it out and every day we had our homework hours, so helping everybody with their homework. And then, after that, we transitioned into, you know, oftentimes we would break up into groups. And I had co-teachers helping me because it was a large group of kids. and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was fourth and fifth graders. so
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then we break up into groups. Some kids, you know, wanted to do continue with physical activities. a lot of, kids wanted to do like art activities and different workshops so that's kind of was I became quickly like teacher obviously and and so I would work with that group and you know I would use the materials that we had we would do like paper weavings and different drawing activities and then our final project was I was able to get the supplies to create a mural in which they were able to brainstorm their own ideas of what they wanted to represent at the end of our year together and highlight as like what happened in our group throughout the year. And, you know, for me, it's important that I decenter myself and I let them step into those leadership roles and those, you know, for them to have the opportunity to make their ideas come to life. And so they, they decided to create this mural about imagination And sort of taking the landscape of this art center that we were at, which was on a park, and, like, taking that landscape and, like, recreating it and, like, adding all these cool things to it and having, like, an area of being in space. And then, like, the clouds Mm. sort of, like, drip down and there's, like, stars everywhere. So that was cool. And that was installed in the lobby of the art center. Amazing. Yeah. And then before that, I was working with high schoolers and our arts uh, organization. And then also before that, I was working at an organization called Creativity Explored, which is, I love, 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 love them. And had an opportunity to work with artists who are differently abled, adult artists. And yeah, that experience was a great place to start Arts Educator. So yeah, I kind of had the opportunity to work with different communities and ages and people and I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And I know people sometimes ask, what's your favorite age level and that's always a really hard question for me to answer because I like that being a teaching artist working with a variety of groups that you kind of get to jump around between different groups I don't know if you have that same feeling or do you actually have an age level that you really love working with
1: well for me it's hard to decide
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think there's amazing things in every age group that I've worked with just different Mm -hmm. Like, working with high schoolers, for example, I feel like we're able to, like, have specific themes that they actually want to, like, work in and and discuss and go deeper into issues that are impacting them. And so, like, in contrast with, like, 9- and 10-year-olds who, like, Mm -hmm. want to paint clouds, which is still (laughs) amazing and still, like, wonderful. And so it's it's different, but every uh, group has great things that they bring to the table so
0: yeah and it's exciting to get to work with a variety of groups of ages mm-hmm. and sure. they all teach
1: me so much mm-hmm. you know I think having that mindset of it being more of a collaboration rather than like me as this teacher facilitator mm-hmm. like I'm kind of uncomfortable with that and I I like to view it more as a collaboration yeah yeah Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, and you talked about, you know, decentering yourself in the classroom and giving a lot of agency to the students, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is so necessary, so powerful. Would you have any tips there? Like, what have been the ways that have worked for you to do that?
1: So, while I was in college, I had a class where we, one of the first things we did was we created our own rubric or like class Mm -hmm. guidelines together as a class of how like we would assess how things are going and Mm -hmm. like just something to always refer back to. And I've used that strategy Mm -hmm. in my own work and in creating like a class rubric of like how we want to show up in the space, how we want to treat each other, what we want to like actually do in the space how do we create a safe space so creating like and and literally like putting up this poster on the wall and writing it all down and and just leaving it there throughout the time that we're together Mm -hmm. and having it be something that we always refer back to as this is what we created together and this is what we can refer back to together
0: and Mm -hmm. that's something that I've done yeah, that's amazing. That's definitely powerful to be able to go through the process together, but then also to have that resource and to be able to point to, you know, like you all helped make this. Let's, you know, <laughs> come back to it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then that ties into, you know, this idea now of being anti-racist in the classroom. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, it's like the buzzword right now. But I guess looking at how so many teachers are waking up to that now, how has that, I know you haven't been teaching during this time, but I feel like the class you're taking maybe has helped you think through like how you would go back into the classroom. And are there any changes you feel like you would make really around that idea of decentering yourself, decentering whiteness as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that I'm always thinking Mm -hmm. about, especially as a white educator. You know, even beyond this course that I'm taking, that's something that was always there and is important. And I think... It absolutely stems from decentering myself and also like the biases I hold as a white person or any sort of Mm -hmm. thing inside me that like I'm always trying to see and break down and look at. And I think throughout this whole period of being in a pandemic and all these other things that are happening, you know, how I show up in the space when we all come back is, you know, I want to be really intentional about that and acknowledge all the things that have happened and make room to process. And also just like bringing in, you know, if we're we're teaching art and we're talking about artists, bringing in non-white artists, non-male artists to show to the youth or whoever I'm working with and also bringing in physically into the space, like non-white educators and artists to collaborate with and just make room for other people.
0: Yeah, one of the I feel like a, a big challenge for me is the language around it and getting better at being like really specific. I'm just hearing as you're saying, like let's bring in non white people and that somehow still is centering whiteness it's such a challenge
1: yeah okay. no absolutely yeah no thank you see that's something that like yeah people of color the language I think we're all getting used to and mm-hmm. I think part of that is being okay with people making mistakes and yeah absolutely but also
0: holding people accountable at the
1: same time so
0: yeah a lot of it for me is trying to hold myself accountable and yes space. And then modeling also for kids, like, if you do make a mistake, just own up to it and, like, try to do better.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, And I feel like I'm going to make the same mistake repeatedly. (laughs) Eventually it'll click. Uh. Yeah, you know, like anything. Yeah, but I love that, you know, talking through... How there is so much that's internal, like finding your biases, especially, you know, those of us who feel like, you know, we've been doing this work and like, but I'm, you know, I care about this stuff. I'm like one of the good white people (laughs) just, you know, uncovering what is actually in there and like, how can I change that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely work to be done and Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, and if there's similarities and differences for all people that are working through their biases and it's deep work. Yes. (laughs) And it also, like, as educators and people who work with others, it's something that, like, we are committing ourselves to, Mm. which is good. Mm -hmm. And it's needed.
0: And now are you finding any of this coming through in your own artwork as well? As you kind of go through this process, like breaking down your biases and thinking through any changes you would make in the classroom, is that while you're not in the classroom, is that like coming out in any way in your artwork? Or is it really, you know, not that it has to be, maybe they're sort of separate things that are going on?
1: I think it has a major impact on how I'm thinking about who I am as a teacher and how I want to be in service to others, I think it's definitely something that I think about in my work because my work is centered in the body and and all that's tied to our bodies and just deeper thinking, deeper sort of self-reflection.
0: would you want to maybe share a little bit about your artwork? And I like to frame it to start with this attempt to describe your work if someone has not seen it, Mm -hmm. which can be a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) It's like, it's visual. This is why I'm a visual person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But if you could, yeah, describe your work.
1: Sure. So my work is centered in the body individual and collective
0: bodies.
1: And I like to paint large scale and I'm trying to examine my own body and the complexities of being in a body,
0: Hmm.
1: how we live with each other. And, Hmm. you know, it's intertwined in my community interactions and in my Hmm. own experiences and human connection. And even in performance, like I have a lot of influence from performance and how people move their bodies and mm. I'm not like really talking about how it looks visually but you know I love color I use a lot of color in my work but also I've done some printmaking and most of my printmaking is black and white mm. but I have been recently working on a series called Gathering which has been throughout this whole pandemic and thinking about how bodies gather in in space and like the Mm -hmm. choreography of gathering and and thinking about being without it and when it's necessary to actually come together Mm -hmm. and influenced by the times that we're in and the community that I miss
0: being around and yeah and I'm looking at, I think this is one of the gathering pieces that's, Mm -hmm. you know, many figures kind of layered upon each other. And I also see there's so much movement within like the way you're handling paint, you know, like there's movement within the figure, within the bodies, but then movement just within the paint as well.
1: Yeah, well, that's just another way that I approach my work is moving around it Mm. and moving my body while making it. A few years ago, I did a whole series of larger-than-life-size sculptures that were made. I hand-sewed everything and were made out of fabric that I painted on, and then I stuffed it. And I was also using my body to paint, so I Mm -hmm. actually have done paintings where I'm painting my own body and pressing it up onto fabric, so adding this deeply personal action to the fabric or whatever surface I'm using, and then cutting it up and and sewing it. And so there's all these different parts of my process, especially with sculpture, where it's like, there's a lot of time and energy and movement put into making Mm -hmm. those pieces. So...
0: Yeah. And then would you include documentation of any of that? Or is, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how that comes into the final piece? Is it more just kind of what, what we're doing here, you know, hearing about that process?
1: I haven't included documentation. And for me, it's been something that's just like a personal experience that I don't necessarily have felt the need to share. So I don't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's okay. I feel like it's just an interesting thing. Like, there's some artists that have these, you know, this elaborate and like really meaningful process that's not necessarily secretive, but it's not something that, you know, like looking at the sculptures, I can see that they're painted and, you know, sewn and there's some embroidery, Mm -hmm. but like I wouldn't know just looking that that you were using your body to make some of those marks and the meaning behind that process.
1: Yeah, it's definitely more personal and derivative of being in a body. Yeah, <laughs> things that we don't really want to share but are there. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful thought too. There's so much that happens in our body. There's like so many things that we experience that maybe are just, you know, just like, this is just part of living in this body and doesn't necessarily need to be like documented or shared. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that that's another way in which like, how I'm thinking about people, bodies, how we live together, identity, all of that is, and how I address it in my own art making practice, like that easily transfers over to when I'm working with other people and I think I talk about empathy a lot like especially in when I talk about teaching and when I talk mm-hmm. about in groups of people who I'm working with is having empathy for mm-hmm. others and practicing it and understanding what it actually like sounds like feels like because it's a skill that people don't really
0: know how to practice it. Yeah, that's an amazing skill. I just recently got a book for my daughter, I have a five year old. And I want to say the title was empathy is your superpower or empathy is a superpower, something like that. But I loved how it talks about empathy as because you're sensitive. It's not a negative thing. It's like a super positive thing that you are sensitive to the needs and feelings of others. Yeah. Um, but it also kind of talks about it like for kids who are super empathetic naturally, like it encourages that and says like, this is a good thing. Don't feel bad that you're like having these emotions. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it also kind of goes through a bunch of scenarios, encouraging kids who maybe aren't as aware Like, this is how you could think about things and be more aware of, like, how other people might be feeling.
1: Yeah, and our current, like, reality in this pandemic, and we see how connected um, we actually are. It's important to teach young people
0: the skill of empathy, so. Yes, super important. Teachers now are becoming, there's so much social and emotional learning, social emotional work that is happening That still needs to be happening you know years down the road yeah even adults you know like we all Mm
1: -hmm. need to practice it
0: yes yeah Uh, if there's anything this time has taught us yeah even beyond you know the last several years (laughs) have shown Mm -hmm. this real need for more empathy Mm -hmm. yeah and then getting back to your work and I guess maybe this is more of a like formal like art question, but just the scale and how you go from the really large, like larger than life sculptures and large paintings and then go down to the smaller prints. Do you think of the prints almost more as like sketches or how does that scale shift work for you? Yeah, I love working in
1: different Mm -hmm. scales and transitioning between working smaller and the process of making prints mm-hmm. versus larger paintings. And I think also like the reality of having the space to make larger work and, yeah. and not having a larger space and shifting mm-hmm. and, and moving from place to place. And that absolutely has an impact. I definitely enjoy working large and like oftentimes I'm like I just need to like make some large work and have that space to sort of move because for me like moving my body around is part of my process and as far as like the prints go I definitely have referenced them as sketches and also as their own work and their own thing and Yeah, they all kind of inform each other, for sure.
0: Yeah, I like the idea that it can be both. Like, it can be sort of a sketch that maybe informs another work, but it's also its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like, not to discount them because they're small.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, like, what, you know, I think we all have this, like, idea of what, what a piece of art has to look like, or the size, or how finished it has to look. And, yeah, that's kind of something that I that's less important to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that thought too about finished work. Like what is finished?
1: <laughs> right it's like
0: the eternal question.
1: Ugh. Yeah. And you know, sometimes like I'll be working and not really know if that piece is finished, but I just like let it be for so long and then finally I'm like, all right. It needed that time to, like, reach the point of me deciding, like, that yeah.
0: that I'm done, you know.
1: But also, I still have so much more work to do.
0: So, yeah. And then in terms of the business side of art, mm-hmm. are you selling your work? And are you, I guess, how are you, like, approaching opportunities within your artwork? Yeah, I have
1: sold some pieces. You know, Instagram has been a good tool in having people see my work, especially now when there's less in-person opportunity. I also was a part of a gallery that my dad had started back in our hometown and ended up actually, this was a few years ago, he started and then ended up actually moving his gallery online. Everything has been more digital as far as like selling work and finding opportunities. Like I'm You know, I feel like my community and the people around me are my biggest resource, not only for opportunities, but for all their ideas and collaboration and support. Mm -hmm. I feel like through the people that are in my community, I find a lot of opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I feel like you know, everything has sort of shifted online, but Mm -hmm. still that need for community and that need for like local connections hasn't disappeared.
1: (laughs) No, and it never will. That's our human need. You know, we need to connect with other people and that's what inspires me is all of that. So, yeah.
0: yeah. And what's the name of the gallery that your dad started?
1: He started a gallery called Forward Contemporary
0: Mm.
1: and we no longer have the physical space but it is online now
0: yeah no that's awesome yeah I know it was his project but were you involved like were you helping run it at all or seeing like the inner workings of how do you manage a gallery how do you run a gallery
1: yeah you know I was out in California so I wasn't physically there but I was you know talking to him a lot my sister who's an artist and a dancer was involved and running the gallery as well so through conversations and managing how to run artist runs gallery Mm -hmm. I did learn a
0: lot yeah I feel like that's really really valuable as an artist Mm -hmm. um, I'm like dabbling there now I'm sort of just getting into running a space that's just online but it's so informative as an artist to be on that side of things
1: yeah absolutely and I feel like that's Another goal of mine is just to Mm -hmm. become more informed and practicing all the sort of administrative aspects of being an artist and working with other people. So yeah, I I keep working towards that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And maybe I should say that I found you and your work through our online gallery. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's important to have all those opportunities for artists and I feel like more and more like right now we're all just kind of looking online for different things you know communities to connect with and people and it's important so thank you for
0: putting those opportunities (laughs) out there (laughs) yeah I feel like another thing maybe that I've probably talked about here before is just imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. especially jumping into something like that, being like, you know, who am I to <laughs> to run a space and, and put this out there?
1: But- yeah, no, that's a real, that's something that I feel like me and a lot of other people I know, we all kind of know what that feels like. And mm-hmm. even in having our own artist practice, like there is mm-hmm. a slight like, Privilege in that too. And yeah, so I understand. <laughs> <A lot.
0: laughs> oh, yeah. And the only way I found to get through that is to just keep on doing whatever you're doing and you know, mm-hmm. like learn as you go. If If you, you know, kind of what we talked about before, if you make a mistake, own up to it, try to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing that's been just helpful, and maybe this has happened for you too. sort of the more you get involved in these communities and meet other people and, you know, meet people that are doing amazing things, you realize that everybody's kind of in that boat that (laughs) maybe we don't, you know, none of us really entirely knows what we're doing, we're just doing.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's in the mix. And I also think that especially working in community, that we are intentional about what we're doing. And it's Mm -hmm. important to kind of to know what you're doing and to be responsible in in community if you're trying Mm -hmm. to create elastic impact. And for me, like my work in community is more important in that way because, you know, my art practice has its own personal element for me. But like the work I do with others and the impact that has is more important in a lot of different aspects to me. So yeah, being intentional, it's important.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like the program in school, the social practice program really set you up for that? Or has it been a lot more kind of learning on the job, learning as you work with communities?
1: The program at school definitely did set me up for that. You know, mm-hmm. that's a big part of like what we, study and look into and how to operate mm-hmm. in community-based work and I feel like that experience sticks with me through mm-hmm. three years later you know and
0: probably more to come so yeah it'll be exciting to see what's next you know what comes you know when things start to open up again
1: yeah I, I definitely look forward to that and to like getting into ways in which I can like push my curriculum and pedagogy and just like being with people after all of this so <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah and then I have just some like kind of fun wrapping up questions sure. what are you curious about right now What
1: I'm curious about right now is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently as I'm working and I was listening to, I forget who it was, but they were talking about like all the shifts that are happening that we don't really see right now in our world. And, you know, I'm interested in like the change. I'm interested Mm -hmm. in like the discomfort of what's about to happen Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and what we need to break down and sort of unlearn to like learn how Mm -hmm. to be in the
0: changes. So that's kind of what I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, that transformation. Mm -hmm. I was reading about butterflies at you know the science of that metamorphosis that change and how in the cocoon their whole body is essentially like disintegrated and rebuilt and becomes Mm -hmm. this like somebody had termed it like caterpillar soup (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's where we are right now we are caterpillar soup we're breaking down disintegrating and who knows what what exactly comes next
1: yeah, I mean, so many things that we know and are out there—they just aren't working anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, what's going to have to change? Yeah, it's a beautiful time. It's a scary time. Yeah, uncomfortable transformation. Yeah, and then learning to be—I was going to say, like, be comfortable in that discomfort. Maybe it's not getting comfortable with it, just getting used to being in discomfort. Yes. Okay, fun, silly question. What is your favorite food? Oh my gosh.
1: That is a hard, (laughs) hard question. You
0: know, I was
1: spending a lot of time with my sister who lives in Brooklyn, and we would get these tacos from this place around the corner, and honestly they're the best tacos. Like (laughs) So I don't know, that, that just popped up in my head. Yeah. They have this like fried jalapeno and avocado taco that is like Mm. so good so (laughs) thank you for
0: that question yes it's always just a fun way to get a little peek at someone you know yeah Learn a little bit more.
1: (laughs) No, for sure. And food is a big part
0: of that. So yeah. And I feel like if I had a pie chart of like what the answers are, it would be like 50% tacos. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves tacos.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, of course, completely not surprised.
0: So good. I guess before we really wrap up, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really wanted to make sure to to touch on? I just want to express my gratitude for all the
1: educators that I Mm
0: -hmm.
1: don't know and know and artists who are doing just amazing work and you know transforming all of this craziness into something that can be impactful to other Mm -hmm. people and just grateful for everybody that I learned from
0: yeah and then I did also want to give you space to give like a shout out if there's anybody that's really like helped you along the way I mean, there's so many people. I feel I like I can't like choose one person. That's like,
1: yeah. I just have all these like faces in my brain right now. It's really hard for me to just shout out one person.
0: Yeah, all the people. Yeah. <laughs> you can just say like, you know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> they do know who they are for sure. <laughs> yeah. Where can people connect with you
1: online? My Instagram is Carly Terrison Art. And I'm currently working on putting my website back up, and that would be carlytererson.com.
0: So yeah, and I can link to everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Carly. This was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.